Okay, if you have your Bible, turn to Acts chapter 14 this morning. Acts chapter 14, the title of our message, week 21 in this series, is The Centrality of the church. We're going to review the two verses that we covered last week, and then we'll go into our text for today. But kids, I want to catch you up on what we have been doing in here. You have been studying the Bible in kids' church every week with our great and awesome kids' church leaders, and you're studying some different passages than we're studying. In here, we have been, in this series, walking through Acts chapter 9 all the way to Acts chapter 14, and I want to tell you a little bit about what we have covered. So, in Acts chapter 9, We read the story about a man who was one of the worst enemies of the Christian church. He hated Christian people. He wanted to see them all get arrested or killed. He was actually there when the very first Christian was killed, what we call martyred, a man named Stephen. This guy was there, and he was happy about what was happening. He hated Jesus and his followers more than almost anything in the whole world. Does anybody know that guy's name? Acts chapter 9, who was this guy who hated Christians so much. What was it? Saul. His name was Saul. If you've been in in our uh, kids' church or you've been in Sunday school, you might have seen a picture like this, this drawing here of Saul. That is Saul of Tarsus, also called the Apostle Paul, because in Acts chapter 9, this guy, Saul, is on the road to Damascus, and his life gets turned upside down, right? He meets the resurrected Jesus gets to go out in the desert and learn from Jesus personally over the course of several years. Amazing transformation. A guy who hated Jesus more than anything to a guy who became a follower of Jesus and not just a follower of Jesus. In this series that we've been in here, we went to Acts chapter 11 and we found out that Saul actually becomes a pastor of a church in a town called Antioch with his friend Barnabas. And then in Acts chapter 13, God told the other pastors who were there with them, (coughs) excuse me, there in Antioch, to set aside Saul and Barnabas and then send them out for a new work that God was calling them to go and do. And so throughout Acts chapters 13 and 14, where we've been studying for the last several months in here, the story is told of how Paul and Barnabas went out as the first missionaries of the Christian church on the very first missionary journey to go and preach the gospel to people who'd never heard about Jesus ever before. So where we are in this series, adults, hopefully you uh, are there, is at the very end of Acts chapter 14. And Luke, the author of the book of Acts, has been telling us all about how Saul and Barnabas have walked over 300 miles on foot on this first missionary journey trip through the region of southern Galatia. So let me me illustrate what that would be like. Imagine for a moment, kids, think with me for a moment. Everybody, Everybody listening? Thinking? If you were to walk from here to Philadelphia... And then from Philadelphia down to Monroe City. And then from Monroe City, you walked all the way down to Mark Twain Lake. And then you kept walking down to Jefferson City. And then you kept walking to Osage Beach down at Lake of the Ozarks. And then you walked down to Springfield, Missouri. And you went through Springfield, Missouri, and you walked all the way down to Branson, Missouri. Who's been to Branson, Missouri before? Anybody ever been there? Okay, imagine walking all that way. That's about 300 miles. That's how far Saul and Barnabas were walking all throughout this region of southern Galatia. That's a map of what it would look like to go from Nelsonville Assembly of God all the way down to Branson, 303 miles. It says it would take you 99 hours of walking to get there. That's a long, long time. Here's the map of how Saul and Barnabas, Paul and Barnabas, traveled. They weren't walking from our church to 
Branson. So they were leaving this little town over here called Antioch, and they first went to this island of Cyprus. That's where Barnabas used to live. So they went there first. They walked all across that island, told people about Jesus, sailed all the way up here to Persia, and then walked that blue line all the way up and around into all those different cities till they get to the city of Derby, where that red line starts. This is what Paul and Barnabas did. Now, think about that for a moment. When they get all the way to the city of Derby, they've already walked 300 miles. Imagine you walked all the way to Branson. And then you decide, you know what, I'm ready to go home. And I think I'll walk back the same way I came and visit every single place I went on the way down. That is a lot of walking, isn't it? It'd take a long time to do that. Why would these guys, Paul and Barnabas, travel all that way, walk all that distance? I think it's because they loved Jesus that much, and they wanted to tell people who had never heard about Jesus who he was and what he had done. That's why those guys would go all that way, travel through all that area to tell people about Jesus. Did you know, kids, if you have your own Bibles, if you look in the very back, you might even have a map that looks just like that, and you can look those up in the back of your Bible and see some of those things that I'm showing you on the screen today. So after all this walking, they decide we're going to go back. We're going to go all the way back to where we started. But first, we want to visit every single place we went to on the way here. So last week, we looked at two verses at the very end of Acts chapter 14. I'm going to read those two verses again to get us all caught up. And those are in verses 21 and 22. So when they had preached the gospel to that city, the city of Derby, and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium, and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. Now that was last week's message. This morning, here's what we're going to look at. It's the next verse, and it's a really important verse about the work of Paul as a missionary. It's often, I think, overlooked. Look at verse 23. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church, with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believe. Now, here's the big picture for today. Here's what I want everyone to really get, really understand. On this return journey, all the way back to the church they left from, Antioch in Syria, Paul and Barnabas are committed to establishing local churches in the places where God, the gospel has taken root. These are not just missionaries who are content with going into a town, seeing a couple people become a Christian, and then moving on. They wanted to come back to those places and establish healthy churches in every single one of those cities. For Paul and Barnabas, understand, the missions work and church planting work were not two totally disconnected things. Paul and Barnabas were church planting missionaries that all went together for them. This was what they believed was crucial, very, very important to do. So hear me this morning, as great as associations and partnerships and networks and denominations and conventions and organizations and entities and all those things are and all the ways God can use those things, there's only one thing that is primary in God's plan of spreading the gospel to the world. That is the church. If you remember, if you've been around here for a while, you might remember the words of Jesus himself and Matthew. They were the foundation of the whole Assembly Required series that we did right when we came back from our COVID-19 restrictions in 2020, right? This text was the foundation text for that whole series, Matthew chapter 16, verse 18. Jesus says, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. What is it that Jesus promises to build in that text? What does he promise he's going to sustain? The, the church. That's right. The church. The Greek word there is ekklesia. Can everybody say that? Ekklesia. 
Exactly. There you go. See, you're learning a new word today. In another language even. In Greek. The Greek word is ekklesia. It means an assembly of God's people or just simply a church. That's what Paul and Barnabas are very, very, they think it's very, very important for them to plant. They're very, very committed to starting churches, ecclesias, in all those different cities that they went to. They don't try to start movements. They don't try to start conventions, denominations, build entities. They establish and plant local churches. All those other things this morning, they're good things to have, and they can do great things in the world but only insofar as they remain rooted in, guided by, connected to, and supportive of the church. So we have to be really clear. The church is the central part of God's plan and work in this world. And that's what Jesus committed himself to building and sustaining like nothing else in this whole world. It's the church. Adults, conventions, denominations, they will die out. Networks will fade and lose influence. Entities, eventually, they'll give way to their replacement entities, but the church of God is constantly the place where God is working. Throughout every single age, all across the globe, the local church is the place in these local gatherings of God's saints as they assemble together, whether that's a big gathering or a small gathering, whether that's in an urban environment or a rural environment like we are in. It's the local church that we see the reflection of God's heavenly Ecclesia, the gathering of all of God's saved people from every tribe, language, nation, tongue, people group, like we sang about this morning. This is a reflection of that. And this gathering, this local church, is what God will use to reach the world. Kids, youth, adults, everyone, understand this morning how important the local church is. Not, not this building. This is a nice building. I'm glad we have it. But the building's not what's important. It's the Christian people here who assemble together, who come together as this church here locally as Nelsonville Assembly. But this isn't the whole church. The whole church couldn't fit in this building. We're part of something so much bigger, so much greater than just a local gathering like this. We're part of what the Apostle John got to see in a vision that he wrote down in the book of Revelation so we can know what we're headed towards, the big group that we're a part of. He tells us the true universal church that you and I can't see yet is a gathering. It's an assembly of Revelation chapter 7, verses 9 and 10, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, all standing before the throne, before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. As a Christian, we are part of a group of God's people so big, no one except God could ever count it. As Christians, we are a part of a group of people that come from every single nation, every tribe, every people group on earth. The group we're part of as Christians includes people who speak languages right now that are totally different than ours, people who will never understand or get to meet in this lifetime. You and I are part of something much, much bigger as part of the church of God. And one day, all Christians will get to assemble together before God's throne We'll get to meet each other. We'll get to know each other and understand each other and together worship the one same God who saved people here in Nelsonville and in Africa and in Guatemala and in China and everywhere else around the world across all different ages. And we'll get to sing together 
Words like what we sang this morning in Revelation song and is he worthy, those words drawn from scripture. We'll sing together with people whose languages right now we can't understand. We'll worship God with songs together like that as a powerful, amazing, incredible thing for us to think about. So we need to understand this morning how important it is to gather together as a church like we do, to come together. When we assemble every week, our very existence as a church, it may not be the biggest thing happening. It's not the flashiest, the most exciting. It's not the most popular thing to do on a Sunday morning. But this coming together is part of God's fulfillment of his plan to reach the world with the good news of Jesus Christ. So what we come in here to do, it's not just to enjoy breakfast treats or family Sunday treat bags. It's not just to drink coffee or kids to run around and play with others while adults get to catch up with people we haven't seen all week long. Coming into a service like this, it's not about just singing a couple songs and then taking the offering and then settling in and listening to me just talk and talk and talk and talk. I know, it seems, seems long sometimes. It's not just something we get through until we can finally go home and turn on the sports game on TV or play with our toys. That's not the most important thing about this day. For those of us who understand this gathering, this assembly, the church right here is a reflection of a greater assembly in heaven that we one day get to be a part of then when we get to come together like this, like we do on a Sunday morning, and and receive from the kindness of our Heavenly Father those wonderful breakfast treats like Heather brought in this morning, and drink some coffee, and talk with people who are fellow children of God adopted into his kingdom, who we are going to one day spend forever and ever within eternity before the throne of God, We we get to come here as a head start on that. I don't have to wait till heaven to get to know you and spend time with you. That's a great gift that God has given us. And then when we come into this service in here, we get to talk to God Almighty in prayer. We get to give him, as we said in the the prayer today, everything and anything that we care about. We get to share everything we're worried about, everything that scares us, everything we need help with. We can pray and give all those things to God. He listens, he hears them, he even answers our prayers and does the things we ask of him. That's incredible. And then we get to worship the one true God, the one who's loved us and saved us despite how bad we all are. And all of us, we're pretty bad compared to the standard of the Bible. Compared to being perfect, you and I fall way, way short. But we get to lift up our voices in song. And God loves to hear us sing, delights in that, the Bible tells us. And then we get to hear God speak to us through his word using me, uh, just a, a human man, as his ambassador to proclaim a message more important than anything I could ever come up with or make up myself. So what's said in this sermon, I know it can feel long sometimes, but the really important truths that God has been impressing on, on my heart first as I study and I prepare and I'm sharing with you because they really matter. And if we know all those things, then no matter how old we are, we should understand coming into church isn't just something to do to check off a box and feel good about our religious observance, adults. Or kids, we don't just come here because, well, mom and dad said we had to, and they put me in the car and buckled me in. This time together is the most important and glorious time of our entire week as we get to be with God's people, preparing for eternity, hearing from God in a special way as we're all assembled together. That's how important church is. This gathering, this moment, is something we should all deeply, deeply love and eagerly look forward to being a part of every single week. 
Because God is working in and through the church as we come together and as we work to share the gospel and make disciples here in this place. So that is why in Acts chapter 14, verse 23, we read that Paul and Barnabas planted local churches. They didn't establish denominations, networks, or organizational entities in those cities. They planted churches because the church is the most important group the most crucial part of God's plan for us and how the world will come to know of him and his message of salvation. So this morning, I would say, and I say this humbly but convictionally, hear me, Christians, you coming together and being a part of the local church gathering like this is actually far more important than anything else you could do. It's far more important than the big organizations and entities and denominational leaders who sit down and make big plans and have big budgets and lots of people that they're going to send out. You and I, even in a smaller gathering like this, coming together is the most important thing in the world. So there's a simple statement here from Luke in chapter 14, right? He's moving very fast, and we're kind of slowing down and unpacking these last several verses. But it's very important for us to see this point. Paul and Barnabas knew the importance of the local church. And so they intentionally planted churches in those cities in their missionary work. This is what gets me excited about several of the missionaries we as a church get to support sending out around the world. We have many missionaries who understand this biblical truth and are trying to follow this same model that Paul and Barnabas followed. Kids, I, I love when you're in here to get to share with you about the missionaries we support. And I show you their pictures so you can see their faces and hear their names. Every single month, our church supports missionaries all around the world. We send them money to help them do the work that they are doing. We pray for them here at church together, and hopefully you pray for missionaries at home too. And then we get to have these missionaries who've been all around the world, done all kinds of different things, come here to Nelsonville and visit us when they're back from the places God has sent them. So a couple of the missionaries I, I want to highlight as they understand this and are working this way for all of us to kind of think about this morning are, are missionaries like Brett and Donna Daly. They're working to reach the, the people in the Republic of Georgia, and they're doing that by focusing on planting a church, just like Paul and Barnabas did. They're trying to plant this church in the capital city of Tbilisi there in the Republic of Georgia. And they're doing that because they know when a local church is established, the work of the ministry and the mission, it will go far beyond the lives of just their one missionary family. Brianna Johnson's another missionary we support. She's in Ivory Coast, Africa. She's training right now for missions work on that continent, learning languages, developing evangelism skills, and working in and alongside local churches there in that area. Her entire training is wrapped up and tied to supporting and building up the local church, which is so necessary to multiply and cause her efforts to go farther than she ever could on her own. She's just one young woman going out. But if she will work with and through the local church, she can do far more good than her life would ever do alone. Whitney Cravens is another one of the missionaries that we support. She's just returned stateside from serving in Poland, where she's been ministering compassionately to refugees from Ukraine who have left Ukraine and the terrible war that's going on there and fled across the border. She was in a refugee camp there ministering to, the, to those people. One of the things I love the most about Whitney's passion and plan for her own missions work is that it's deeply connected to the local church in Ukraine. She has a church that she is a part of, and as soon as she can get back safely to that area, that's where she'll be based out of working with and under the leadership of that local church to reach people 
in Ukraine. Even in this time where she's been right across the border in Poland, she's been in contact with that local church. It's been very encouraging to me to get those updates. Megan and Tech Carpenter are other missionaries that we support. They're headed to the, to the nation of Ecuador. There's an unreached people group in that nation that they are going to reach. That means less than 1% of the 1.7 million Afro-Ecuadorians in that group have ever heard the gospel at all. And they're going to preach the gospel to them. Just like Paul and Barnabas went to places with people who had never heard about Jesus, that's what these missionaries, the carpenters, just long to do. They, they're going into a, into a place to target a group of people that need to hear the gospel. But the whole nation really needs the gospel. Of the 17 million people in Ecuador, less than 3% of them are true Christians. So there's, there's a big need in this country. And their plan is to go in and not just focus on the unreached people group and make a few converts there, but to plant churches to train up leaders, missionaries, other missionaries, and pastors to go into these other churches and reach this whole nation for Jesus. The vision of what Paul and Barnabas lived out in Acts 13 and 14 is their vision too. And one more team that I'll mention that we support with and partner with are the Nash family, Logan and Shannon. They're in Botswana, Africa. And their whole ministry is focused specifically upon teaching and training and supporting pastors to go and plant new churches and lead existing churches all throughout the nations and maybe even get to go to other nations and do the same. They're focused on developing and equipping pastors, and that's such a crucial part of missionary work because it leads to the second crucial doctrine that I want us to just notice in the text here this morning as we're going to move towards the conclusion I'm going to unpack this tonight in our last Just Ask message. So even if you haven't been to any of the others this whole fall season, I get it. I want to really encourage you to come, though, tonight and listen to this message. It's really, really crucial for us to understand and to have a healthy church. We need to grasp this and ourselves be praying about and seeking God for this. Notice what Luke is very careful to specifically note Paul and Barnabas did as they planted, as they established those local churches, verse 23 of Acts 14 again, when they had appointed elders for them in every church, with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Notice this, Paul and Barnabas' church planning strategy was not, okay, we're going to go in town, we're going to get a building, and then we're going to get some service times, come up with a fancy name, let everybody know the church is going to meet over here, and then here's the kind of basic doctrinal foundation, we'll give that to the church, and then... Let them figure it all out from there. Put together the organization however they want to. Paul and Barnabas, this text tells us, were very intentional to appoint elders. The term we use most commonly today is pastors to lead those local churches. Now again, I'm going to unpack this idea tonight at length. And adults in particular, I really, really want to encourage you to come tonight and hear this message. For this morning, what we just need to notice is this. Paul and Barnabas were intentional to seek out, to build up, and appoint a plurality, notice the term's plural there, of called, qualified, capable pastors or elders to lead the churches that they were planting. So like I said a moment ago, this is why I love the work that several of our missionaries are out around the world doing, investing and training new pastors, new elders, if you want to call them that, to go and plant new churches or lead existing churches. Because the church is the primary plan of God to reach the world, and the church must have called, qualified, capable pastors or elders leading so that the mission can remain in focus and be the primary work of the church. 
Paul and Barnabas were not out there just trying to quickly start up an organization, throw a few leaders in place, and then rush off. The language in this text even tells us, Luke says, they took their time so that they could do two things, to pray and fast as they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. They were careful about this. They were intentional about this. They knew they needed good leaders to lead those churches so those churches would be strong and healthy and reach the world and carry on the mission. So what they did, I think, is so important and should encourage us today as part of a local church and should challenge us today as a local church. How are we a part of God's great plan at work to reach this world? So, so kids, today is October 30th, which means tomorrow is what? Yes, my son, I've been training him on that. Yes, you're right. It's Reformation Day tomorrow. What else is it? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I've got him down. It's also Halloween. Here's the reason why I think October 31st for Christians should be focused on Reformation Day. Because re what we're celebrating in Reformation Day is actually far more important than what you're doing at Halloween. I know we love the candy, all, all the fun games. I get it all. But Reformation Day is far, far more important because what happened on October 31st in the year 1517 through a man named Martin Luther who took a document with 95 theses, 95 things he wanted to, to debate and argue with other scholars. He nailed it to a church door. And we look back and we see that moment there in Wittenberg, Germany, was the start of a movement that you and I are a part of today, what we call the Protestant Reformation. And it was through this movement of the Protestant Reformation that we recovered several very important things, primarily understanding what the gospel really is, how someone is saved, how you and I can be made right with God and our sins forgiven. And also we understood through the Reformation some very important truths about what the church really is and how the church should assemble, what the church should be doing, and what the main thing of the church and the work of a pastor is to be focused on. So kids and youth and adults, all of us together, we need to understand this is so important today. The church gathering together, hearing from the word of God, understanding the gospel message, being challenged to obey what God says for our lives and putting those things into practice and how we live, that's far more important to your spiritual life than anything else. It lasts, the impact of that lasts far longer than the fun of a Halloween celebration or the candy and the joy that will give you in a moment. That means this morning, for all of us in this room, all of us in this room, we really need to think hard about how we feel about the church and what happens in our hearts as we come together or prepare to come together like this. Listen, if you're just coming in here because you think you're supposed to, then you're missing out on so much of what God has for you and wants for us in this place. The church really is supposed to be, in the words of one of my, my favorite pastors, Charles Spurgeon, this is supposed to be the sweetest place on earth to us. If it's not to you, then you're missing out on some of the blessing that God has for you when you come together in here. If this is just, eh, okay, I could take it or leave it, you know. I'll be here as long as I kind of like it. You know, if they sing the songs I like or they do the things the way I want them done, then I'll stay. But if not, I'll just go somewhere else. If this isn't the sweetest place on earth to you, these people aren't the sweetest people on earth to you. You're missing out. You're missing out. As a result of the Reformation and everything that happened October 31st, 1517, today we stand here as heirs of that great movement and you and I need to really, really love the church that God has given us. 
We need to look forward to gathering together with our church family. We need to be eager to come in here and sing and pray and hear God speak through the preaching of his word. One of the most challenging texts, I think, to Christians, but probably even more challenging to those of us who live here in America because individualism is so rampant, so built into how you and I think and live, are the words of Hebrews 13, 17. They tell, the text tells us, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they're keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. We don't really like words. Kids don't like these words. Youth don't like these words. Adults don't like these words. Obey and submit. But they're very good words, actually. And they're words that in this text say, if you do those things, it brings good results into your life. Being a part of a church and obeying and submitting to a God-appointed, called, qualified set of pastors in that church, it's actually something that will give you great benefit. It'll give you an advantage in your life. It's, it's kind of like starting up a video game, if you play video games, right? And usually you start out at level one, and you got to work and do some stuff, and then you kind of level up. It's like loading the video game, starting in the first time, and you're already like level 15, You've got an advantage over everybody else. You've got access to stuff no one else does. You've got resources and, and equipping, and you're ready to go. That's what being a part of a good, healthy local church does for your spiritual life. It equips you and benefits you. It gives you an advantage. To be in a local, healthy church is a great gift. It's one we should be so grateful for each and every week. Many of our missionaries are going out planting local churches because the reality is most Christians around the world don't have what you and I have. They don't have this opportunity to come into a healthy local church and grow and get the advantage that comes from that. But you and I, we do. We do. So in the years following Martin Luther starting the Reformation, you need to understand, it's not just a reality today. It's always been this reality. There are countless Christians who have longed for what you and I have. And since the time of the Reformation, untold numbers of Christians have died trying to get what you and I have. They have suffered and been killed because they wanted to be part of churches like this that would teach the Bible and worship God rightly. People literally died to get a little taste of what you and I have in coming here that costs us very little, if anything at all. We have a great gift, <clears throat> a great gift in being able to come in here safely, even comfortably, and worship God together. But if you don't love Jesus the way Paul and Barnabas did, if you aren't really a Christian who's saved by trusting in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, then none of what I'm saying will make sense and impact your heart. Your thought is, this is not the sweetest place on earth to me. That other place is the sweetest place on earth to me. You have to love Jesus, and you have to know that he's the one who died to save you. You have to understand that he is the one who would love you so, so much that he would take all of your sins onto himself and take the punishment for our sins so that you could be part of his people who are fully forgiven, adopted into his family, his son, his daughter, and made part of his church. A one who gets to go eventually to that great heavenly assembly that we talked about where all his people from every era, every language, every people group all get to come together and praise and worship and love and enjoy God forever and ever and ever. So if you're, if you're not a Christian and today you, you want to be one, then if you feel God moving in your heart and in your mind, you want to respond in faith and trust of Jesus, then in just a few minutes, the worship team will come, and, and we're going to take time to pray, and you can come get me. I'll be right up here, and you can have me pray with you or answer any questions that you may have. I'd love to do that. 
But this morning, no matter where you are in your spiritual walk, no matter how young, how old we are, I have three ways that I want us to respond to this gift that we have. Again, to come together and hearing God speak through his word by praying in three particular ways. And we'll put them on the screen for you this morning. The first is thanking God for this church here in Nelsonville and for bringing you and I to be a part of it. Second is I want us to pray and ask God to help us truly love him and love the church like we should. And three, I want us to pray for our missionaries who are planting churches and training pastors all around the world so that this gift that we have can be enjoyed by others all around the world too. So worship team, would you come? And they're going to lead us in some, some final songs this morning. And adults, I just want to again challenge you to come tonight as we unpack this other key doctrine from the text and how important it is for us to understand. And as Providence would have it, I looked it up last night. I know that today is the Chiefs' bye week. So you don't even have to choose between watching the game and coming to church. What kind providence of God that is. Seriously, I think this message tonight, it will be one that is crucial for you to hear. And I'm going to call upon you to set aside whatever other plans you have, whatever excuses you use, come and be a part of the service. Hear the word of God tonight. On the screen are the three ways I want to challenge us to pray. At the very bottom are the names of the missionaries I mentioned today. You can pray for them by name today. That'd be a great response. But let's take a few minutes to respond to the Lord this morning before we conclude our service.